and welcome everybody to this week's Dev Central Connects. My name is Boo, one of your community evangelists with the Dev Central team, and I am your host today. Um, you're watching us right now. If you are viewing this right now from any of one of the platforms that we stream to, whether that's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, hopefully you are subscribed or following uh, any one of those platforms. But we are also available via podcast now, which is a new thing for us as of right now. This is late to, uh, late. 2022 right now if you're listening to this in the future and you may be you might be listening to this via podcast format so you can find us on all the major platforms which is apple google spotify and on soundcloud and if we're not on any um podcasting platforms that you think is one of the popular ones out there then let us know and we will try to get onto one of those platforms as well just to make sure we're reachable by everyone uh today we've got a great uh fun little show uh, we're going to be wel welcoming on Jen Guile, who is the head of product marketing with our Nginx group uh, in just a moment here. But first, I am going to bring on Aubrey, who is going to introduce something uh, for you all today. Aubrey, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Boo? Not too bad. What do you got for us today? Well, I just wanted to make sure that everyone in the community was aware that this week's episode of Dev Central Connects has been brought to you by the letter K. This week, it's uh, Priyanka Rakasi, one of our consulting engineers with K1383031. So I have this customer uh, migrating their configuration from, uh, you know, like their current hardware to the newer hardware. So as part of that, uh, we are migrating the LTM configuration as well. So uh, with this uh, new migration, right, all the customer wants to do is um, migrate the configuration from what they have today, like as is. So they don't want any configuration to be modified or changed except the management IP. The approach or the route, I I thought it's more, uh, you know, like easy was uh, taking a UCS archive from their existing device and just importing it on the new one. That is something I have done like a lot of times, but editing the actual UCS file is not something like I have never done so far. So the first step uh, like uh, we need to do is we first need to log into the big IP system command line. And the next step would be like, uh, we would be creating a temporary directory. And uh, the third step would be basically, you would be extracting the UCS archive. And the fourth step, like once you extract that UCS, right? So you would go into that di uh, directory or the folder. In my case, like uh, with my use case, all I want to do is uh, change that management IP. So for that, like what I would be doing is I would go into the slash config folder and I need to edit the uh, big IP underscore base dot file. So once I'm in there, like, uh, so you would be uh, seeing the sys management IP and uh, the sys management route. But in this case, like the management route is same in my case, and all I want to change or edit is just this system management IP. So I go there and I edit that with my new management IP. So once the editing is done, so this is the last step. So once you think the editing is done, so that's when you can actually repack the UCS archive. 
And in order to do that, so these are the steps that you need to follow. And you are saving that, uh, you know, the new UCS file with the uh, name something as a new underscore uh, backup dot UCS. So these are the steps that I'm following to address uh, my use case or my scenario with the customer. Thank you so much. So thanks for listening to me here. Have a good day. All right, fantastic. So that was a great uh, little helpful K article for everybody who has not seen that one before. Um, and we will throw a link to that. Actually, the research team has already thrown a link to that into the show comments uh, if you're watching via live stream right now. And that will be in the show thread as well. So if you head over to community.f5.com and look under the groups, and if you, if you have not signed in to DevCentral already, it's free to get a membership on there. You sign in and then you head over to the groups and there is a group called DevCentral Connects and you go into there and you can see information about every single show um, that we're doing. And for today, we have a show thread up. And so uh, we'll throw a link for that K article into there. And also we have all of the news articles and we have information on our guests that are going to be jumping on as well. So speaking of guests, we're going to bring on uh, Jen in just a second here. We have something from Nginx that they have just released that we'd like to talk about. So without further ado, Jen, how are you doing? Good. How's it going? I am doing good. I'm wearing my sweater right now because uh, you mentioned just in the show comments here that it's raining in Washington. We just got a dump of snow up here. Do you have snow? Yeah, quite a bit. Oh, I'm jealous. No, uh, it's warmed up. We're going to have a wet Christmas, I think, this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, lucky, I guess, compared to us or, or depending on if you, whether or not you like snow or not. Not if you ask my eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's very much like a snow day. Yeah. My kids are off school now, so they'll uh, they'll get to enjoy the snow today. Um, so today we're going to talk about something that Nginx just released, the 2022 Nginx State of App and API Delivery Report. I have that up on the screen for anybody who's watching right now, but for anybody who is listening to this, we'll throw a link for this in the show notes, and you can find this on the Nginx blog. But um, what were you guys, uh, you know, what were you guys looking to accomplish with this, Jen? Yeah, we do a survey of the Nginx community on an annual basis and the, you know, core driver of the survey is to make sure that we understand what the community's needs are, um, what they're worried about, you know, the, the classic, like what keeps you up at night and what helps you sleep. And so some of that data we use for our own product development purposes to make sure that our products are actually meeting community needs. And then um, we've gone ahead and published data that we think the community will find interesting in this uh, report that's on the Nginx blog. And it covers a whole range of topics around um, what kind of roles community members are in, what kind of jobs they're doing, what kind of projects they're working on, and of course, the problems that they're facing. Yeah, this is a lot of great insight. What uh, you summarized this too, so maybe we can go over what your findings were. Yeah, uh, so there is the report embedded in the blog, but I pulled out four things that I think are uh, both particularly interesting um, as well as I'll say uh, not necessarily controversial because as we talk through them, I don't think there'll be massive surprises, but they don't necessarily uh, align with some of the things that the industry's thought over the last few years. And so one is around um, security as uh, part of someone's job. And I'll stop for a second and say uh, the audience that we survey at Nginx is uh, vastly 
vast majority developers, but we also have a lot of people who do platform engineering type work. Uh, we have a set of people who do security leadership roles and even some uh, infrastructure and automation. So that's kind of to give you an idea of who we're talking to here. Um, and so what we found is uh, not everyone has security as part of their job, which isn't necessarily, again, a surprise. But I think where it's a little bit interesting is that there has been that trend uh, the last few years toward um, having security be part of everyone's job. And we did find in particular at large organizations, 44% of them of our respondents said that they don't have anything to do with security. And so that is a little bit different than what we might have expected. And you know, the data doesn't necessarily tell you why, it just tells you what. And so when we think about why that might be, uh, it can be because those organizations are more likely to have dedicated functions to security. And so it may be that those are offloaded to other teams. But across the Nginx community, 85% um, of people said that they were responsible for security. So it is part of a lot of people's jobs. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, 44, yeah, 44% seems like a lot, but yeah. And then the second insight is around um, infrastructure. Uh, you know, we work at F5, so hardware is close to our hearts. Uh, but there's been a lot of talk for a long time about how hardware is going away. And what we're seeing in the survey results really tucks in with what we're hearing from the community, uh, you know, in events that we go to, as well as customers, is most organizations are taking some kind of a hybrid approach. So using a combination of on-prem and a cloud, and that this is pretty prevalent. And, you know, I think this will complement some of the news stories that we'll talk about later, but it's about really choosing the right infrastructure for your needs, as opposed to going all in on one. Each of them has their pros and cons. You know, hardware is not exactly known for being uh, super agile, for example. So your apps that are, are needing more agility, faster updates, um, higher resilience, those may be better off in the cloud, whereas the apps that um, have core security needs, those are probably better off on-prem if they don't need that agility. I've got to, you know, I've got to imagine over the years too, we've gotten really good at cost calculations of compute and where it makes sense to run stuff. And mm -hmm. yeah, cloud, uh, you know, when people are first getting into it, it's a slow start as far as cost, and then it starts to ramp up. And then hopefully in the new year, I'm going to have someone on that's going to be talking a little bit about cost optimizations, but you got to real, we got to imagine at this point, a lot of people with their on-prem have done cost calculations on that too. And, and they can easily weigh pros and cons versus uh, uh, the benefits that they'll receive. Yeah, that's a really good point. And there's definitely a lot of new tools out there to help optimize costs or uh, illuminate costs that are found in the cloud and in particularly in Kubernetes. And so I think that's helping people make more informed decisions about when it makes sense and maybe when it doesn't. Uh, the next is maybe a little bit of a hot take, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, around the role of system administrator. I would say uh, a sysadmin is not classically the kind of uh, job title that you might associate with the Nginx audience, um, being that we do have more of the developer type of uh, group using our tooling. But we've found uh, over recent years, and it's getting echoed in the survey, that we do have quite a few people in our community who they may not necessarily hold a system administrator title, but they identify as doing system administrator type work. 
Um, which I think is really interesting, but what I think is even more interesting is when we looked at the survey results and cross-referenced that um, type of work, we let them choose multiple types of work, that many of them were also in some kind of a development role. And as you can see on here, many were in kind of a platform ops role, many held leadership roles, they might have been in security or even data science. And so that's a pretty significant trend here where we're seeing they're not just doing one job and i think that's becoming certainly more prevalent and i wonder you know with things uh the way they are economically if we'll see this continue to to see people doing multiple jobs under the same title but it's really uh i think to me showing that there's still a place for sysadmin type work, especially um, we found at smaller companies at startups. And so that's probably a great place to go if you're already a sysadmin and you're wanting to grow those other skill sets. It's an opportunity to kind of touch multiple parts of a business. And not to, not to go on too much of a tangent here, but you kind of wonder if the sysadmin role over the years has evolved anyways, to the point where it is pretty achievable, you know, 57% claiming to also be a developer, um, transferable skills, and the developers might already come from a background where they needed to do stuff like manage an AWS environment on their own, um, just for when they're in school, they were just learning this stuff as a developer, and they need a, a lab, and they don't want to run a lab at home. So they're running it on AWS, and they have some skills from that and they just move into maybe a startup and then they can kind of go from there. I'm, I'm drawing all the sorts of like wild conclusions here, but, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit easier now. No, but I think you're on the right track. I think, uh, it's becoming more of a capability rather than a title. And then the last area I really get into, um, more organizational types of, uh, trends. And, you know, when we talk about some of the news articles, those are the ones that I nerd out on we asked about the challenges that people are facing with their projects and we gave them 20 different options and it was interesting 70 percent said they aren't facing any challenges i'd love to talk to those people some more and find out what they're doing uh but the the remainder by and large they were looking at challenges that have more to do with again organizational constraints rather than a problem with technology and so this is issues around, you know, not having enough people, not having enough time to, to learn the technology, the learning curve involved in learning the new technologies. Those were much more prevalent than, for example, my tool can't do what I want it to do, or my tool is too expensive or something like that. Like in general, it seems like the community has the tools that they need and it's more around the capability to leverage those tools. Yeah. And community is a big part of it too if i can advocate for that a little bit here is that the resources are available like the way that uh, training is delivered these days isn't necessarily sitting down in a classroom there's always that available but it's just for nginx like microservices march myself and jason went through that last year there's so much stuff out there from a community perspective to get people up and running and so maybe it is lack of resources to be able to allocate time towards being able to get uh, yourselves uh, trained up on this kind of stuff and people having to put in extra time just to learn tools that help them help their company. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of how we're taking this to shape our roadmaps in Nginx, we're thinking about what we can do to make things easier for users so that, you know, perhaps that ramp up time isn't, you know, the, the 
the climb to getting value out of a tool is shorter so that maybe some of those organizational constraints aren't as problematic. Very cool. Alrighty. So that is, and that brings us, uh, if we are scrolling down here, that brings us right to the report. So people can uh, view this on the page or they can just download it directly. Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to put it out here so that it's easy to get. So no uh, login required. It's just right there. Fantastic. Very cool. So we definitely would like to hear what people think, uh, you know, comment in the, the show notes or uh, directly in the blog. Yeah, for sure. There's uh yeah, just keep scrolling down. You can leave some comments in uh, down there. Very cool. Alrighty, so we are just going to take a little bit of a break here and we're gonna uh, join back up and talk about some news. I'll see you in a sec. Hello, F5 community. Aubrey here with Dev Central, and this week in security is edited by Darmander Rana from the security incident response team. And this week, we start the news off with North Korean hackers exploiting an Internet Explorer zero day in order to spread malware. We talk a little bit about hackers using a fantasy data wiper in a coordinated supply chain attack. On top of that, an interesting technique developed by researchers that's discussed is air-gapped PCs being vulnerable via power supply radiation attack techniques. That's a really strange article. Uh, and I definitely recommend if you like security stuff to check that one out. And finishing up the news, we talk about hacked corporate email accounts being used to send phishing emails internally. Imagine that. That's what we got this week in security, Boo. Back to you. All right. Back from that lovely ad break. For today, we are going to be talking about some news for the next 10 minutes or so here. And the news is always posted ahead of time. So if you head over to community.f5.com, join the Dev Central Connects group, you can see the show thread. And I start filling out news articles that I come across over the week ahead of the show. And so a couple things that we have that we'll talk about here. First one is Cubescape, which was recently promoted, or what do they call it? Um, adopted into the CNCF uh, sandbox status, I believe is the correct terminology, but it is a project that is, um, you know, when once you move into that status with the CNCF, you get accelerated traction, uh, I guess. And so this is a, this is a cool project here. Did you get a chance to check this out? I did. You know, the, the CNCF landscape uh, has been growing exponentially. Like if you go and look at the, I can't remember the name and link, but like, it's so small on there that like you have to zoom in and then you can't see the rest of it. I sure. Uh, but I think Cubescape is an example of a project that has um, made it in because it's an answer to a problem that people are facing. You know, it's, it's about visibility and Kubernetes is notoriously difficult uh, to get visibility into, you know, figure out what apps you even have in there, what the health looks like, all of these kind of things. And so uh, I think it's definitely answering a problem. There's a lot that you can't do without good visibility. You know, your security posture is going to be struggling. You're going to have a hard time troubleshooting if you can't even find out where your problems are, or maybe you don't even know what your problems are. So uh, this is an area that Nginx definitely is super passionate about. I'm curious to see where this yeah, project goes. Very interesting. I, you know, I, I think of the early days of virtualization where, hey, we have a hypervisor, the hypervisor's out. And so we've created this layer of abstraction, but we gave up all the tools that we had with traditional 
client server networking and, and all the visibility that we had. And so the hypervisors slowly added all the features over time. And now we've added another layer of abstraction. And so we're going back and adding uh, all these things here. Yep. <laughs> but being able to visualize this stuff is hyper important. Like I know on the of coming from the big IP side of things, we had some tools that allowed you to visualize a policy going into an application. And that just set us so far apart from our competitors where everything was just text-based, text configuration-based, where you basically just had to draw out what we built inside of a GUI. You just had to draw that on a piece of paper to figure out what your tool was doing before, uh, what our competitors' tools were doing um, where they were configuring it via uh, commands. And so something like this, I uh, hopefully mm. really accelerates that and, and uh, amplifies security for folks. So definitely worth checking out here um, on the, so I linked to the actual announcement, which was a tweet on the CubeScape Twitter, and then, uh, and then their actual GitHub repo that has the instructions for installing this, what it looks like uh, is found on there. So I'm going to try to run this uh, hopefully a little bit uh, at some point later on my lab here and see what kind of pitfalls that I've already introduced. Um, next one here, we've got our good friend of uh, the show, Robert Haynes, uh, technical marketing manager with the Nginx group. Nginx chats with ChatGPT and gets mixed results from the hottest bot du jour. I want to have ChatGPT every week. Like there's always something hilarious that you can do with it. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I enjoy when these kind of things come up because it's it's the test of the robot. Like it can do all kinds of cool stuff that it was designed to do. But Robert definitely had some mixed results. Uh, I laughed when I saw his blog because it's it's very classic. You know, you put into the internet what you get out, or you get out from the internet what you yeah. put in. And so uh, it we're wondering where ChatGPT is getting its its information here. Some of it's reasonably accurate. Um, you know, the same kind of stuff you could get in a Google search, but some of it is like, huh, we can't even find that on the internet. Where'd you get that? So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it must learn off of the head. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really wonder where it's, where it's scraping from, but I would say, you know, some of it's pretty accurate, but like any search, you know, if you find something in Wikipedia, understand that at some point a human made it. This is, uh, so for folks who are listening right now, there's an article in the links for uh, Robert Haynes, who was doing a little bit of chat GPT research by asking it questions that were specific to Nginx, asked it, what is Nginx? It got pretty close on that one, asked about Nginx open source having a WAF. Um, it was a little bit, uh, that one's a hard one to answer. I guess there's some nuances to that. And then uh, how to configure Nginx. And so we've seen that already to the point where Stack Overflow doesn't allow code submissions from AI. And so he asked it how to configure Nginx, gave a pretty basic um, configuration here for their Nginx uh, at this point. So, yeah, uh, from what I remember, it's not technically wrong, it's actually pretty good. Uh, but it, we're curious about where it came from. It's a bit of a sketchy sample configuration, so it's understandable why Stack Overflow would have would have yeah. banned this. And then his final one, the the nail in the coffin was what are the top ten Nginx configuration mistakes, which it couldn't provide an answer. However, it is a uh, it is a, um, a top 
uh, Google search result anyway. So it should have found that and maybe it has learned that at this point uh, if, it, if it was looking back on its mistakes and wondering why I couldn't come up with an answer. Um, you know, I heard that. Yeah, I hope it is. Yeah, I, I, I um, saw a tweet yesterday. I don't know if it's accurate. It looked like it was coming from a reputable source, but they were saying that ChatGPT right now costs currently costs $3 million a day to run. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> like, wow. So for a, <laughs> a free tool, which hasn't been monetized yet, whoever they're... Yeah, I'm wondering about their monetization strategy here. Yeah, whoever their uh, uh, funding partners are, um, they're, they're pretty bullish on whatever it's doing right now. So, yeah, they're, I'm sure they're going to come up with some really good use cases out there for this. It's only a matter of time, I think, making this kind of stuff available so that everybody can implement it into uh, solutions. People are going to come up with stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the open source concept here. Put it out in the wild, let it learn a bunch. Mm-hmm you're going to end up with a better product, hopefully. Yeah, I think so. Um, and maybe we'll we'll just touch on maybe this last one here. This is a study that you linked over. I'm going to bring this back to the first page here somehow. Yeah, I think it's from Stanford. Um, I love the data in here. I, I saw the one that you just had initially on the slide about uh, how people save an average of eight minutes on personal grooming by working from home. Yeah. I'm going to say that's probably accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could. Uh, I mean, you don't have to put on pants. Just put on your shorts. Um, Is that then, grooming? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, my grooming uh, has stayed the same, to be honest. But yeah, I guess you could get away with not brushing your teeth if that's a couple minutes out of your day there. If you if you want to post postpone that's your that's true. If you're if you're following teeth. the two minutes of teeth brushing, yeah. Um, no, I think work from home uh, research is really interesting. As someone who worked from home uh, at a previous employer pre-pandemic, briefly worked from home for F five pre-pandemic, permanently works from home now. Things have definitely changed in terms of attitudes toward it, I think, in a good way. Um, I do think that it's it's offering uh, opportunity in terms of being able to work at F5. I mean, I've been able to hire people who are all over the country that I wouldn't have been able to hire before. They would have had to have been located in an F5 office. So that's been a big change for me. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I think about, uh, and and I don't know if I totally described what's happening on the screen right now for everybody who's listening via audio, but there was a, a study done by Stanford on work from home. One of the points that we brought up a few months ago, we, we talk about Starlink once in a while on here and the deployment of uh, internet connectivity to third world countries. And I just think it's only a matter of time where, okay, we've gotten so used to work from home at this point. Uh, newer companies that are starting up now are completely remote at this point. Like it doesn't make any sense to have an office when you're starting up with one to 10 people even, or or more than that. And companies like HashiCorp have been remote this entire time and they're doing fantastic. And so you got to imagine with Starlink deploying into third world countries, we're really good at work. We are really good at working from home, implementing those processes, and then we can incorporate um, workers from anywhere in the world 
And all it takes is for someone like Amazon or Microsoft or Google to invest in one of those countries and say, hey, we're going to put up a university here. And it's like totally to their benefit to produce tons and tons of people who are highly skilled, dedicated workers with connectivity, don't need a ton of compute uh, to be able to do some of the stuff that they do. And then, you know, off they go. They've just unlocked so much human potential in parts of the world where they wouldn't uh, be able to get those resources before. Yeah, I mean, I think accessibility is huge with it. The thing that I do worry about is um, equality in terms of making sure that people in those developing countries are getting paid fairly and that they get the same advantages as people who might be in a, you know, a Seattle or a New York City. But the other thing that I think is really interesting in this data and that I've seen uh, talking with uh, five colleagues is Europe and Asia do tend to be less likely to have people working from home or have that be a, a full work from home situation. And, you know, just from talking to people, it has a little bit less, it seems like, to do with what the employer wants and more to do with culturally what people want in those locations that I do hear from colleagues globally that they would rather have the option to go into an office. So I think I'd be curious to see what, uh, companies outside the U.S. are doing with their their office space if their employees actually do want to be going in. Yeah. Yeah. I think they touched on it a little bit, like they're converting the office spaces to less office-y and more collaboration spaces, which I think totally makes sense. Even mm -hmm. like at the beginning of the pandemic, um, there was a few months in, I was speaking to one of my previous customers when I was in sales and they were saying they were even then starting to convert their office in that way. They were already starting to see, uh, they were allowing more work from home and they're starting to see more people work from home, but come in when they wanted to collaborate. So they were accommodating their office just to uh, be able to have more of that. Um, okay, so we are almost wrapped up here, but one thing I wanted to bring up here friend of the show, Kristen Ludwig. I was just going to say, I saw Kristen's comment. <laughs> <laughs> Elon, Sam Altman invested in ChatGPT and Microsoft backed up to $1 billion. So it'll take them a few, a few months to get through, burn through that uh, 3 million bucks a day. Do you think if we do more uh, testing, it'll burn through faster? Probably. Uh, Elon probably won't like that. I bet. No, I, I, it would be great to see those improve. You know, maybe that means uh, things like chatbot customer service gets better, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, because right now I don't have a lot of success with those chatbots. I usually get um, reverted into opening up a case and, and sorting it out with a human. But, uh, but yeah, if, if chatbots could solve everything for me, that'd be awesome. That would be. Very cool. Alrighty. Well, thank you very much, Jen, for joining me today. Um, just for everybody's knowledge, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, where can they get a hold of me? I am on Twitter. Am I the last person on Twitter? Not yet. Uh, <laughs> and LinkedIn. So uh, my handles are in the show notes. But yeah, I would love to hear from people, hear what you think about uh, the trends we talked about and just connect about tech. Yeah. Fantastic. Please do everybody leave comments in the show thread and, and on the Nginx blog uh, as well if you have any uh, feedback for that. All right. Thank you very much, Jen. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And we will see you all next week. Bye for now.